Okay, so welcome to the second episode of the Golf Fleet podcast, and today's episode is with Mike Carroll. He is an uh, an Irish strength and conditioning coach who is currently in California. Uh, you may know him as Fit for Golf on Twitter and Instagram. He shares some fantastic content, um, and this was a really interesting episode. Sort of just talking everything on golf strength and conditioning. Specifically, uh, we discussed uh, generating um, clubhead speed and how we can train for that. And also um, the five pillars of strength and conditioning for golf, which um, is actually an article that um, Mike, has, Mike wrote, and it is on the TPR website. So I will put the link below um, in the bio for that. So thank you for Mike. Thank you for this, Mike. It was a fantastic interview, and I think there's something for everyone here. Whether you are a strength conditioning coach, um, a golf coach, an amateur golfer, or a professional golfer. So yeah, enjoy. Cool, we'll go for it. So, very good. Um, just very quickly, Mike, if that's all right, um, just to kick start the podcast off, if you could just uh, basically let the listeners know sort of your background, how you got into uh, strength conditioning, and then specifically how you got into golf strength conditioning. Yeah, I suppose um, pretty simple, really. I, I just played a lot of sports growing up. I grew up in, uh, in Ireland. So played all, all the sports year round um, and was always very interested in, I suppose, the physical aspect of them. So whether it was the speed or the fitness um, and how the training could help them, basically. Uh, as I got a little bit older then, I had a, a brother that was a few years ahead of me in school, went and did exercise science in college. And I was pretty interested in the feedback that he was bringing back on the weekends when he was coming home. And uh, I just decided then that it's something I'd like to do as well. Um, so went and did uh, exercise science in the University of Limerick. And pretty early on, I realized that strength and conditioning was the pathway I'd like to follow. And after my first year, I managed to pick up a, a part-time job in my local gym, a place called Fitness Works in Cork. And from there, then just started kind of taking on clients, basically. Um, and branching into golf came about just that uh, I played a, a little bit of golf as a teenager and had some friends that were pretty competitive players and also knew a couple of golf coaches in the area. And that just led to me getting some golf clients, basically. Um, about a year after that, I did the TPI level one just to try and get a little bit more educated in the area and took on from there, really. And was based in Cork, doing that for about three years or so after college. And about 18 months ago, so October of 2016, I took a job with Hanson Fitness for Golf in Irvine in California. And I've been there since. Cool, happy days. So um, I guess since you've sort of got into golf, um, have you seen um, a certain perception maybe maybe not from clients but from other golfers that you maybe spoke to about sort of, of golf specific strength condition like i don't know what sort of perception you've seen um maybe i don't know if it's different in ireland and america as well so that'd be cool to to have a listen to well i i think it depends on the the people that i'm working with as clients 
they were all interested in it already and that's kind of the reason they came so they're usually pretty open-minded to the advice you give them or just the philosophy that you would have on it um but that can be a little bit different then when you go maybe if you just if you just play golf with people kind of in a in a different setting they often don't really understand the benefits or or why it might be a good idea um and then even more so if you talk to non-golfers they kind of find it very strange they're usually thinking what do you mean you're you're doing physical training with golfers you're you're walking around hitting a ball um yeah like i'd have kind of some of the athletes from other sports more field sport or track sports that i keep in touch with back home it sometimes be checking in asking what i'm doing here and i'd be telling them and they're kind of when you explain it they say yeah i suppose i never really thought of it that way but i can see why it would be important cool and i guess that kind of it leads on sort of to the next question quite well so um i, I mean i hope this isn't putting you on the spot too much but i actually read an article the other day of um it was the, the five pillars of, of golf strength conditioning coach I've got a golf strength conditioning and I was, I was reading down and I saw that it was you that had, had actually wrote it on the TPI oh. website. <laughs> um, so I thought, all right, this, this works great. Yeah. So, um, I mean, first of all, it's a great article for some, I mean, you know, for anyone really that is into golf strength conditioning or someone that doesn't really understand it and you can actually see, you know, the importance of it. So um, I, I wonder if it's okay for you to maybe speak through those five pillars and maybe how that influences uh, your programming. Yeah, 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 no problem. I think I think what's important, first of all, especially for people who who maybe aren't very kind of up to speed with with golf, basically, or, or how golf works. And it's it's an interesting sport in that there's two sides of it that are nearly completely unrelated. So you have like the, the power side of the game, if you consider long shots, and then you have the, the short game where, where power isn't isn't an issue. There, there's no advantage to, to having extra power. And when you take the, the power side of the game, all you're trying to do then really is just come up with, with what physical characteristics or attributes can, can aid in that. And sort of what I'm thinking of whenever I have a client is just trying to go through a checklist of those different physical qualities and see if they're kind of at a, at a high proficiency level in each of them, I suppose. So the, the five things that I've broken it down to, and can be easy to get caught up in semantics, but the way I termed them was number one, was a uh, motor control or coordination, which is basically just saying, are you able to make your body do what you're intending it to do? Like, can, can you send the signal from your, from your brain to the muscles to do the movement that someone's shown you or the movement that you're actually trying to complete? Uh, the second one then that I've broken down is, um, is stability, which is essentially, can you keep certain things in place while other things are moving? So, it's, it's very similar to balance as opposed to, I suppose, balance would be more of a, a static environment by definition. And then stability is, can, can you keep in balance while you're moving? Um, the, thir the third one that I would break down is, uh, is mobility. So the, the checklist I kind of have for that is, can you bring your joints through the range of motion that you're trying to do, particularly in relation to the, to the sporting activity? So and this would be the golf swing. And then the last two are, are ones that I probably put more emphasis on than a lot of strength and conditioning coaches who are working with golfers, because I often see it as a, as a big area for, for improvement, is, uh, is strength and then speed and power. Cool. And I, I mean, again, this, this leads on really well to the, to the next question. So you said there's something that you maybe concentrate on a bit more that can have the biggest sort of improvement in someone's game. 
being obviously the strength and speed and power. Um, so specifically, I mean, we spoke previously about um, your interest being around sort of physical training for improving club head speed. Um, so I don't know if you could potentially, you know, speak about obviously the benefits of that, which I think for most golfers are pretty obvious. But then also maybe, you know, from someone that's relatively new to strength conditioning, how they can sort of introduce these, these training mechanisms into their game. Yeah, so basically one of the reasons why I put a, a pretty big emphasis on, on strength training in the programs of the clients I deal with, it's not that I think there's, there's it's not that I think mobility or, stabi or stability are, um, are not worthy of training. It's just that most people, unless you're dealing with professionals, or even if you are dealing with professionals, their training time is very limited. Yeah. Like if, if, if you're trying to give somebody a training plan where they can derive the most benefit from it without impacting on their practice time, or even just the other things they have to do, if it's an amateur, they've obviously their work and family commitments or whatever, is that if you can get somebody to a level where they're doing what I would call like the fundamental or basic strength movements with very good technique through a relatively large range of motion and with appreciable load relative to their strength level, you're getting a very good return on your training time. Like you're, you're definitely going to be hitting your strength. Obviously yeah. you're going to be, you're, you're going to be improving your mobility. If you're gradually progressing the range of motion and using good technique for most people, unless they're already very highly trained, getting a little bit stronger is also going to be very important for improving their speed without even doing any um, focus speed training, just, just improving their strength will help a little bit. And I also think it will help with, um, with the stability and the motor control, because even just by learning some of the exercises that are a little bit more complex, people get a feeling for, okay, this is how I move my hips in a certain way. This is how I gain better control of my shoulder. And kind of one of the cool things going slightly off topic that, um, that reminded me of that was, a lot of the coaches that I liaise with, with players, they often say that the players become easier to coach when they've been following a training program. And I don't think it's just because they've got more mobile or just because they've got stronger. They just have a better understanding of how to move their body because they're doing a couple of training sessions a week where they're really, really focusing on, okay, I'm trying to move my hips in a certain way or my shoulders in a certain way. And it's a little bit different to golf practice because there's no, there's no fear where the ball is going to go or, or a missed strike gives them a chance to solely concentrate on linking up their brain and their movement without really any any failure involved so they they kind of buy into the moves basically cool yeah it's um it's a, it's a really interesting way of looking at actually especially the you know the discussing the, the control of the body um and then just a just a a sentence i sort of picked up on there um was that the two were sort of gradually progressing so um it, it might be quite interesting to, you know, and again, this, this might help sort of other coaches as well as um, amateurs, but maybe what, you know, somebody that is the start of their strength conditioning sort of journey in golf, what a session for them might look like. Um, I mean, you don't have to go into the nitty gritty, but, you know, maybe just the structure of the session um, compared to someone that's maybe been involved in a, in a high quality SSC program for a bit longer. Give, give an example of, of both of them. Yeah, potentially, yeah, just to see yeah. how, you know, the two compare. Yeah, so the, in, in general, the, unless it's somebody who has like a very particular, like injury or a very specific need, if you, if you take kind of two, 
uh, training clients that would meet the masses, I suppose, the training structures for the beginner and the person who's been training for a little bit longer would be very similar in terms of structure and how they're broken down. Um, I always start with uh, a warm-up, which, which works as well as almost like a mini screen. And if anybody's familiar with the, the TPI movement screen, my warm-up comprises of a lot of those screening tests yes. done for reps as, as a warm-up. And that would also hit the, the pillar number one that I talked about in that article, the motor control. So basically all I'm trying to do is, is get people warm and mobile and ready to train, but also kind of wake up their brains a little bit to some of the movements we're going to be doing later in the session under maybe higher speed or higher load. Um, then usually once they're warmed up, and the, the end of that warm up as well would, would generally cover like the stability stuff we're talking about as well. Yeah. That motor control and stability are they're pretty hard to separate, and some people would even argue they're the same thing, which is which is fair enough. So basically, you're looking at some some mobility, motor control, and stability in, in one way, I would say, which takes about 15 minutes. Um, if anybody has a very specific uh, tightness or area limitation, they might spend a little bit of time on that first, loosening it out or getting it ready to go, like a a hip or a shoulder that has a, a history of being problematic. Um, generally then once they're warmed up, we go into some speed or power work. Uh, the reason we do that first is that you want to try and train this while you're very fresh. If you're trying to do speed and power work at the end of a training session when you're fatigued, you won't get quite the same benefit. Um, so what that nearly always entails for my clients is some sort of jump variation to work on lower body power or that would translate to ground force if the like golf teachers or golfers are listening um, and i usually pair that up then with some sort of medicine ball toss or throw which would be more of a trunk and upper body uh, dominant exercise um, so a, a really simple way to think of most people would be familiar with like a, a regular squat jump or vertical jump just standing in pretty much an athletic position, crouching down and then jumping as high as you can. So that would be one exercise, usually done for somewhere between about three and six reps, but, but really high effort on each one. Um, then take a little bit of a break, just maybe 30 seconds or so, just to bring the heart rate down a little bit, and then go into the more trunk or upper body dominant one, which would typically be something like maybe a rotational medicine ball throw or also called like a medicine scoop toss, which kind of looks like a, a maybe half or three quarter golf swing. You're, you're essentially just setting up side onto a wall or a partner and rotating the ball into the wall as hard as you can. Uh, that would generally be done for about three to five sets of three to five reps or three to six reps. Uh, and that would be the power section. So the two things that I really emphasize in the, in the power are trying to get more force into the ground, often done by a jumping variation, and then more rotational power with the, the, with the trunk essentially, and being eventually propelled by the arms with some sort of medicine ball throw or toss. Uh, once that is done, I typically transition into more of a strength element of the workout. Um, and with the strength stuff, I try and split it up into lower body, trunk, and upper body, even though they'll generally all play off each other a little bit, I don't isolate them completely. 
so a pretty typical uh, session there might be like a, a hip hinge or deadlift variation, trying to again work on on ground force and lower body strength. Um, and I suppose just to, like quickly for the people listening who aren't overly familiar, the big difference between training for speed and strength is that when you're training for speed, the load or the weight you'll be using will be quite low, but the speed of the movement will be quite high to try and improve how quickly you can apply or produce force. And then when you're training strength, the load will tend to be very high relative to your strength level. And because of that, the velocity or the speed of the movement will be a lot slower. Even though you're trying to move quickly, because the load is heavy relative to your strength level, you won't be able to move fast. I think that's an important point. You're trying to move quickly, but the weight is slowing you down. Um, that would often be done then with maybe um, some form of, uh, of cable rotation or anti-rotation exercise like um, a standing cable rotation or a pal-off press or something like that uh, to more hit the trunk a little bit. And then usually there'd be an upper body exercise in there as well. Something like, uh, it could be really simple depending on the person, might be a very basic push-up or standing cable press or landmine press or dumbbell press or something like that. Nothing, nothing crazy. Um, that would usually be done for depending this this is where the advanced and the uh beginner client would probably differentiate a little bit is that with beginning clients i generally tend to keep them further away from their maximum strength so because their technique is there's too high a likelihood of their technique breaking down when the load goes up um so i usually keep them in somewhere between about five to eight reps but if their life depended on it they could probably do 12 to 15 reps with that load but you're really trying to make sure the technique doesn't break down. Then if it's more of an advanced client, someone who I have been training for a while or they have a background in it, and they're going to know that their technique doesn't change. It's just the, the load, they might have to do less reps or the load will have to come down. I might get them doing, doing sets of three to five reps with a load that's much closer to the maximum weight they can lift for that amount of reps. And if that's the case, they generally do more sets. Um, I often then, depending on, on how much time is left or how long the, the client has been has been training, is go into a second strength block, uh, which would basically be something that would complement what we've just done. And I don't know if there's time to go completely into it, but basically if someone has done a double leg hip hinge or deadlift variation in the first block, I often like to get them to do a single leg or split stance squat yeah. variation in their second block. So an example would be if someone did say a hex bar, hip hinge or deadlift in the first block, they'd often do like a, a step up or a step down or a lunge variation in the second block. Um, if somebody had done some sort of rotational core exercise in the first block, in the second block, they'd probably be doing more of a stationary, maybe anti-extension exercise, which for most people is like a plank or a, a more advanced version of a plank, depending on the strength level. And then for the upper body, the exercise if they had done an upper body push in the first block like a push-up or a chest press or a cable press then they'd generally be doing an upper body pull in the second block like some sort of row exercise or some sort of pull-up exercise and i'd often try and get the upper body stuff matching as well that if the first block had a bilateral or double double arm exercise the second block has a single one they're trying to cover cover the the major i suppose big big moves and also get 
uh, one side at a time and two sides at a time in the exercises. So you get a chance to identify and work on big imbalances if they're there and also just ensure that they, uh, that they don't materialize if they're not there. Um, you, you usually then just a little bit of mobility work to finish, just some stretching and cool down stuff. Um, and oftentimes, to be honest, that doesn't even happen. People just walk out of the gym after their, their second strength exercise, which I'm okay with, especially if they, they don't need to work on extra mobility stuff or they don't, they don't have time. I'm, I'm pretty okay with that. I'm not, I'm not overly concerned with, with cool downs or stretching to finish workouts, yeah. to be honest. Cool. Uh, some some absolute sort of nuggets in there. That was fantastic. Um, and you know, I think that the information you're giving there, I mean, there's a lot that I've just taken from that, and I know that people will as well. Um, so I've kind of got sort of uh, one last sort of final serious question, and then I've got three just sort of final finishes that are just a bit more easy going. So um, I guess, I mean, you've given a lot of information there. You know, of, of actual training programs and maybe what they should look like. So just finish off with. Um, you don't even have to go in that much detail, to be fair. But you know, the sort of the the pros of actually implementing this type of training within your golf practice, let's say, we'll call it that. Um, you know, over you know the negatives, basically. So I don't know if you could touch on the actual pros and how they outweigh the negatives. You know. Yeah. So that that's actually a good question and and something that I've talked about a little bit before. When people consider physical training for golf all they jump to immediately is, and it's one of the, the big things for, for definite is club head speed or increased distance. That's definitely important, but there's a few other things that are vital too, especially for golfers who play or practice or travel a lot. And like the big one that I try to tell people is injury prevention. Like if you can get your body essentially working a little bit better, improve the mobility at the joints, the control of them and increase your, your muscle tissue quality and strength, you're going to be able to practice and play more without getting tired or, yeah. or reducing the chance of injury. So basically, you'll, it'll give you a chance to practice at higher quality for longer, which gives you a decent chance to improve your skill level, which is what it essentially boils down to at the end of the day. The other one then that I think is very important is that if you're playing a long season or traveling, like it's, it's, just, it's just tiring. and. Yeah. Just from, 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 speaking to, from speaking to pros who are on the road and things like that, there's often just the therapeutic benefits of it as well. If you're day in, day out, practice golf really good just in terms of stress and, and mental fatigue, gives you a chance to freshen up and feel a little bit better. So yeah. they, they'd be kind of the three main ones. Like the, the injury prevention is definitely huge. doesn't matter how good you are. If you're injured, you, you can't play. The yeah. second one is if you get yourself into better shape, you're able to practice at a higher quality for longer hours, which can have a huge impact on, on how well that you can actually play. And then the last one, I think, is you just feel a little bit better. And yeah. probably lastly, actually, that I should have mentioned is that it's also setting you up for, for a longer career at a higher level because most people, as they begin to age, probably after, I would say, early to mid-30s, depending on what training they're doing, they're starting to lose strength and power. So if your training gives you a chance to keep your club head speed and power up into much later in your career, whether you're an amateur and professional, which is important for both how long you'll play golf and how long you'll enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think definitely, I, you know, one thing I'm quite interested to see, especially on that increased career thing, is that, 
you know, the sort of the, the people on tour now that are using this golf SNC, I think it's exciting to think what they may play like when they're, you know, 50 compared to maybe yeah. some of the people that are on the senior tour now. I think it's going to be exciting. And then secondly, you know, that therapeutic side of it. Um, I mean, I know uh, sort of Roy McIlroy, you know, he's, you know, he's big on his, his physical training and, and he says it's just that it is a confidence thing as well. That you know, yeah. he stands over the ball and his you know his posture and he feels more confident, which obviously we know how important the mental uh, side of it is as well. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, some some fantastic inputs there. Um, so, just to finish off with, I just you know I, I finished these three questions just for yeah. a bit of fun really. So, um, question number one, uh, I mean, you, you obviously you play a bit of golf yourself. So, one person you could take on a round, either dead or alive, and it don't have to be a golfer; it could be anyone. It could be a famous person. It's up to you. Padraig Harrington. I like it. Nice. Um, so, secondly, um, your pre-round music choice? Um, I really Ah, nice. And then, to finish off with, um, you know, where can people find you on social media, etc.? Yeah, so Twitter is probably where I'm most active. It's uh, at fit underscore four F-O-R underscore golf um, I have a website fitforgolf.blog they're probably the, the two best places to find me cool happy days and I must say to just everyone listening as well that I follow you and you share some you know some pretty good content you know it's, uh, it helps me a lot as well so Mike thank you very much that was that was absolutely fantastic and I really appreciate your time it's taken yeah. us a while to get here with time zones but yeah. we've, uh, we've finally got it cracked so uh, thank you very much, man, and we'll uh, we'll keep in touch, and I'll catch you soon. Yeah, no worries. Cheers, thank you very much for having me on, Dan. Thank you very yeah. much. Cheers. Thank you very much, man. Bye bye. Yeah.